everybody wants to be a part of a winning team. But a silent killer of success for most teams is a lack of collaboration between all the team members. It is so much easier for teams to get where they want to go if everybody rows in the same direction. This is the Leadership on the Rocks podcast, where we equip and empower leaders like you to thrive in and create harmony between your professional and personal lives. I'm your host, Bethany Reese, and in today's episode, we're going to learn about essential rock number five, collaboration, and how to get your teams to work together so they're more efficient and achieve more results. Hey, it's Bethany. Before I get into today's Essential Rock for Leadership, I wanted to update you on an exciting new opportunity. So many of you have reached out expressing how overwhelmed you are as leaders, especially you new leaders out there. I hear you. And I am so excited to tell you about my new on-demand course, Leadership on the Rocks, The Survival Guide. In this online course, you'll learn everything you need to know to overcome overwhelm and implement clear strategies and tactics to, one, feel confident, two, create a great work culture, three, develop efficient ways of working, four, produce results, and five, find harmony between your work and home life. Most leadership courses are all theory, but but that's not how we roll at Leadership on the Rocks. We'll cover the most essential leadership strategies and tactics that you can implement at work tomorrow. I'll be unlocking this course soon, so be sure to join the waitlist so you can receive your loyal listener discount. Go to my website, leadershipontherocks.com. That's leadershipontherocks.com. And click the Join the Waitlist button, or click on the link in the show notes. The sound you just heard was the Philippine Air Force Dragon Boat Team. Have you ever seen or heard about dragon boat races? These races come from the Chinese culture and have a background in ancient ceremonial, ritualistic, and religious traditions. And most of us have heard of it because now it's become a popular watercraft competition or a fun community event designed to build community spirit among corporations, civics groups, and community organizations. Our local YMCA hosts an annual Dragon Boat Team Challenge every year, and my husband has participated in it with his co-workers. And not only are these races so much fun to watch, they have a lot to teach us about Essential Rock number 5, collaboration. Collaboration, in the simplest of terms, is the action of working with one or more people to produce or create something. The simple truth is that the nature of our work today is team-based. Our work organizations put a bunch of employees in the same boat, if you will, and tell them to go produce results. And that step, though, is only creating a team. That's not automatically ensuring that collaboration actually occurs among everybody on the team. Collaboration happens when there is action between the team members that has them all rowing in the same direction, if you will, towards the same destination. So going back to our dragon boat race as an example of collaboration, let me explain the specific roles and processes that those racers use to have fun in this collaborative event. The dragon boat race prompts individuals to become a team that works together as a synchronized unit 
to paddle their boat towards victory. The more synchronized the team, the faster their boat goes, the more likely they're going to win. Now, a dragon boat team consists of a special paddle boat that's about 40 feet long, and it can have room for anywhere between 20 or 30 team members. That's a big team. (laughs) And it also has, this is the cool part, a really decorative head and tail of a dragon on the ends. The majority of the boat is covered with the crew of paddlers. Now, the paddlers are seated in pairs facing the front of the boat, and their sole job is to paddle in synchronized strokes with one another. The front of the boat hosts the drummer, who faces the paddlers and provides the drumbeat, or heartbeat, of the dragon boat to provide the cadence for paddling. That's what you heard at the beginning of this podcast. Now, in the back of the boat is the steerer, who is facing forward and is tasked with manipulating a really long straight oar to steer the boat. Both the drummer and the steerer can give verbal commands or cues to direct the paddlers. Thinking about all the different seats and jobs on a dragon boat, the concept definitely correlates to building a collaborative team at work. First, every team needs to agree on the direction they're going and chart the course. Second, all team members can't sit in the same seats or the boat will be overloaded on one side and sink. They have to spread out their work and clearly know their role. Now, most team members will be paddling, and they need to make sure that they're all paddling in the same direction to make forward progress. Just having one person paddle the wrong direction, fling water on his teammates, or even quit paddling altogether, and the team's force will become unbalanced, and it can get the entire boat off course. To ensure the team's work not only has forward progress, but actually builds momentum, Their work, or their paddling in this case, needs to be synchronized. Thus, it's important to designate a leader that helps everyone keep the cadence of when to put the paddle in the water, when to thrust, and when to pick up the paddle and readjust their position to do it all again. Now, the drummer's job is to focus on the cadence and to keep watch of the team paddlers to ensure that their work is actually synchronized. And finally, there's the steerer, whose whole job is to look ahead, assess the results of the worker paddling, and help the team make adjustments in the direction the work is taking them. He can do this with commands or cues called out to the team so that they can readjust, or he can manually make small tweaks with his longer paddle in the back of the boat. Every dragon boat has a team of people that are tasked with working, but it's in the synchronized collaboration among the team members that move the boat in the right direction at the right speed. So let's take a deeper dive into essential rock number five by learning how to establish the act of collaboration among your team members. You've heard me say this before, but it definitely bears repeating as a leader. People are your absolutely most important asset, but they will also be what causes your biggest heartburn and problems. Add to that a few extra hard circumstances like inheriting a team that's already established and set in their ways or getting a promotion so now you're having to lead your peers or even working in an organization that hasn't built their company on Essential Rocks 1 through 4. Those are some extra wide gaps leaders have to overcome in addition to actually building a collaborative team. Having been a professional for a couple of decades, and (laughs) y'all, I hate to even admit my age there, I started my career before email completely took over our work lives, and there was no such thing as online collaboration. I have seen the transformation of our workspaces go from those individual desks and cubicles to now open collaborative office spaces. 
The way of working today heavily focuses on people working more closely together through the concept of teams. And everybody, y'all, wants to be a part of a winning team. But a silent killer of success for most teams is a lack of collaboration between all the team members. But just because you establish a team, it doesn't mean its members automatically have the know-how to collaborate with each other. It takes intentionality from the team leader and its members to take action and collaboration. Y'all, it takes the action of a hero, the action of an essential leader. It's so much easier for teams to get where they want to go if everybody rows in the same direction. So leaders, it's your job to ensure everyone on the team is collaborating or rowing in the same direction. To truly foster collaboration on any team, I believe leaders need to implement a three-phase approach to building truly collaborative teams. The three phases you want to walk your team through would be, one, to clearly communicate the purpose and vision for the team. Two, provide the parameters for the work. And three, coach the team for success. Think of these phases for your team as the steps a coach of a football team would go through to establish a championship-winning program. First, the coach would clearly communicate the purpose and the vision for his football team so that throughout the long, hard season, they can keep their eye on the prize that they're working towards. Now, he would tell the team that they're working to go to the playoffs, win regionals, and win state. He would host team-building events and challenges to get his players to know and trust one another. Second, He would then reveal the rules of the program so players know what's expected of them on and off the field. They know the details of how the practices are going to run. They know their roles and responsibilities during those practices. And then third, he would coach his team for success. He would share the game plan, explain how each position works together to make the plays run smoothly. And then he stands on the sidelines coaching as they actually play the game. The coach would also watch game film with the team to provide that feedback for improvement. And it's feedback that provides the magical cadence for synchronization within each position and each player on the team. He would then celebrate the progression of each player in each play, which seals the bond between the players and their coach. So this coach went through all three phases by clearly establishing his team, providing the game rules of his program, and coaching the team for success. While you're probably not coaching a football team trying to win state, you are leading a team towards a goal. And just like the coach we just talked about, you also need to coach your team through the three phases of collaboration. So let's walk through each phase of collaboration and what it would look like for you at work. The first phase for building collaborative teams is all about clearly communicating the purpose of and vision for the team. We are so quick to get to the work (laughs) that we assume that people know and understand the why behind the what. And you know what happens when you assume. As the saying goes, when you assume you make a, okay, well, I'm not going to finish that sentence, but I do want you to Google that phrase if you don't know what it means, what happens when you assume. So leaders, it's vital that you communicate clearly the why behind the creation of the team and provide a vision for what they need to do when they come together and what they need to accomplish. It's crucial that they have a common cause to rally for because it's the common cause that's going to unite them in their work. Why are these people on the team to begin with? And what specialized skills do they have that will help their team accomplish their goal? 
Are they coming together as a team to make the work more efficient? Are they coming together to solve a problem like a budget deficit, poor customer service ratings, or maybe they're planning to launch a new product? Provide clarity on why they're a team and what future or goal they're actually working to accomplish. And while rallying for that common cause can really bring a team together, there are a few coaching plays that really help to make the art of collaboration a lot easier and a lot more fun. So here's the deal. Unlike our playground teams in elementary and the friends we hang out with, we don't always get to choose the people on our teams. And when people are forced to be together, well, that can be a recipe for conflict unless you are proactive in providing opportunities for team building. As a leader, you need to be aware of and invest time in the psychology behind relationship building, or you will always be burned by it. There are two amazing resources that I recommend when it comes to understanding the psychology behind forming collaborative teams. Now, the reason I love these resources is because they explain the natural progressions and honestly, just universal principles behind team development and relationship building. I have found great success in teaching these two principle-based concepts to all of my teams because it creates awareness of the progression our team will inevitably go through and how to overcome the most basic dysfunctions all teams will face at one point or another. By giving my team members a heads up on the psychology of working with others, y'all, I have found even more success in leading teams that win. So the first resource is Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I love this book. First, because Lencioni is a great writer of fables or easy to read stories that teach a point. It's a quick read. And second, I love this book because he shares the most universal yet basic dysfunctions of all teams. On any team that I've been on or even led, it's had problems, and I guarantee it's because of one of these dysfunctions. So according to Lencioni, the base level dysfunction that leaders must be intentional in overcoming is the absence of trust on their team. The second is a fear of conflict. Third is the lack of commitment. Fourth is the avoidance of accountability. And fifth is the inattention to results. If you have a dysfunctional team, you better believe that one of these five reasons is to blame. So you have to be intentional in building the team that can overcome those dysfunctions. So, okay, I'm well aware that you're probably out there rolling your eyes as you're thinking about doing trust falls at the office. And honestly, I get it. I I can picture in my head all the episodes of the show, The Office, and Michael Scott trying to rally his troops with absolutely ridiculous and inappropriate antics. Now, while I'm not talking about being a Michael Scott planner for team building, I am talking about planning time for your team to get to know each other's personalities, how they work and tick, and how they can get to know people outside of the shop talk. Allowing people opportunities to open up about their life and their families outside of work really does help make connections that can build bridges where there were once gaps in the relationship. So some easy ideas are to host a happy hour, host a family-focused barbecue, or shoot, (laughs) at minimum, at least add a conversation starter to your team agenda to get them talking and learning about each other. So for example, hey guys, today's question of the day is, what's your favorite hobby or activity outside of work? Let them talk about fishing or bowling or whatever it is. Another question is, hey, what was your favorite Halloween costume as a kid? Let them reminisce and go back and talk about their childhood. 
And again, while you don't necessarily need to do trust falls, you do need to provide opportunities to help your team build trust, learn how to confront problems to overcome conflict, create buy-in to the vision and goal, learn how to hold people accountable, and drive for results. So again, if you haven't read Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, I highly recommend it, and you can see it in the references of the show notes. So the second resource that I love, 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 love to explain the natural progressions and universal principles behind team development is called Tuckman's Stages for Group Development. So Bruce Tuckman was an American psychological researcher, and his model of group development was first proposed in 1965. And that, y'all, proves that universal concepts will always be true, no matter how old of a concept it is. So again, Tuckman is a psychologist. He understands people. And according to Tuckman, there's five stages of development every team will naturally and inevitably go through. The first stage is forming or the stage of getting acquainted with a team. Everyone tends to be on their best behavior as they're introduced to their teammates and everyone's basically honestly getting a feel for the situation and the people involved. The second stage is called storming. And boy, oh boy, is this phase a doozy. This is where all the personalities finally show themselves and they start clashing with one another. So no matter how nice everyone on the team may seem, no team is exempt from this phase. There will always be a situation or circumstance that's going to bring the storming phase to light. Now, on a side note, this phase also reminds me of marriage. <laughs> you know, when the honey uh, honeymoon phase is over and both spouses are like, they have that oh crap moment, who did I marry? <laughs> that's the storming phase. Now, the third stage for group development is called norming. The team begins to establish a way of working together. People on the team now understand each other and their personalities at play, and they finally begin to accept each other's points of view. The fourth stage is called performing, and this is where the team begins to not only mesh well and build trust, but they actually start getting results and accomplishing goals. The fifth and final step is called adjourning. And this is where the team reflects on their performance as a team. They celebrate the wins and they also plan for the transitions ahead. So the transition can be losing or gaining new members or even tackling new challenges and projects. Even one change to the team and they're going to reset and go back to the forming stage and go through it all again. So again, Tuckman's five stages of group development are forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. And remember, no team skips these stages of progression. Every team has to learn how to work through the stages and overcome the natural dysfunctions that's going to present themselves. So teach the concepts. Teach the five dysfunctions of a team in the stages of group development. Talk about them openly. It's going to accelerate your team's success and collaboration because they're going to develop that psychological understanding and the soft skills needed to build that positive team culture. So to recap, the first phase of collaboration is to clearly communicate the purpose of and vision for the team, as well as to dedicate time to team building. And no, you can't skip team building. Because again, if you aren't aware of or don't invest time in the psychology behind the need for relationship building within your team, you will always be burned by it. The second phase for building collaborative teams is to provide the parameters for the team. 
Just like you don't want to go play a game without knowing the rules first, you don't want your team members to work with a blindfold on either. So provide them the clarity for the expectations of the work to be done. In episode 19, we talked about essential rock number four, communication, and how it is impossible for others to meet unspoken expectations. So clearly communicate with the team what your expectations are. The expectations will help build the cadence for the work. Or like the drummer on our dragon boat race, they're going to clarify when, where, and how to do the work so that forward progress is made. So for example, what norms or roles should be established for the team? What common language do they need to be using so that everybody is on the same page and talking about the same things? What deadlines do they need to meet? Where should they house their collaborative work? How do they need to communicate with each other and then report back to you? Who's going to be responsible for what tasks? Now, you as a leader may allow the team to make some of those decisions themselves, but you still need to be clear in that you expect them to organize their team, their work, and their ways for communication. If you're leading a team, you need to be proactive in communicating the must-dos and should-dos. So the must-dos are those things that are going to be like mandates, legal requirements, or company policies. You have to do these must-dos. The should-dos include things like best practices in the field or expectations for a quality product that is above average. Phase two of building collaborative teams is all about setting them up for success by providing them the parameters for their work. Or going back to our analogies, you're providing clarity on the rules of the game and the cadence for paddling. The third phase for building collaborative teams is to coach the team towards success. I mean, wouldn't you agree that every sports team that plays to win needs a coach? I believe that's a universal truth. So like the dragon boat we talked about at the beginning of the episode, most of the team members on the boat are paddlers. They're the ones doing the physical work. But they can become so concentrated performing their one task that they can't see or notice the smaller nuances that surround the team. They can't always see the obstacles ahead of them, assess the situation, and know how to adjust their course. As with all competitive sports, coaches are never actually on the field playing the physical game. That's the player's job. They're on the sidelines, analyzing the environment, the performance of the players, and the data. They look for patterns, trends, problems, and solutions. They then provide the tweaks needed in the plays so that the team is able to forge ahead toward the goal. That's where the power of a coach comes in. The coach is always collecting feedback on performance by looking at the field, the opponents, and the scoreboard, and then they're always giving feedback. A good coach has a working knowledge of each player's position, a good eye to spot the gaps in performance, a quick mind to assess the root causes and then find a solution for the gaps, and has a good relationship with the players to influence how they run the plays. Building a team culture where feedback is not only freely given, but then expected, (laughs) oh boy, (laughs) watch out. Collaboration and innovation will grow exponentially on your teams. Nothing is worse for a team than to stay in limbo about their performance, to not be coached. And the last time I checked, there's no real scoreboard at our places of work that allow teams to actually see if they're winning or losing. Not having feedback especially withholding feedback, 
creates an environment of anxious employees and teams because nobody knows where they stand when it comes to quality of their performance. And nothing, honestly, y'all, forgive my language, nothing will piss a team off more than for them to work in a project only to present it to you and it not be the solution or the quality that you wanted or needed. So let me give you an example of two easy ways to implement phase three. And it's really going to launch your team to the top for building collaborative practices. Both of these tactics use the power of your agenda in your team meetings in order to add feedback coaching sessions to the team. So first, celebrate the successes. Add in a celebration line item for the team to share what's going well in their collaborative work. This five minutes of celebration time will be a huge morale booster that's going to keep the team forging ahead. Second, build in time to provide constructive feedback. But remember, for this to work, you must also make it a safe environment where people know and they won't feel like they're getting personally attacked. So essentially, you put in a feedback line item into your agenda for the team to openly provide that feedback on the status of a project, the workflow, and the gaps they see. And you can share your thoughts as well. So to start your team on this open feedback loop, you may need to start by assigning roles for this portion of the agenda. By assigning those prescriptive roles for this section, it's like assigning a specialized lens to analyze the team's work from multiple angles. So for example, having someone provide feedback on the product design, the sales perspective, marketing, and customer service perspectives, it will all help the entire team to know where the gaps are to make those improvements. When your team has trust and they can openly share feedback without fear of conflict, the conversations they have, the gaps that they talk about, and how they overcome those obstacles is what's really going to take your team to that collaborative level for innovation. So now I'm going to tell you about a secret fourth phase. And honestly, most teams never get here. (laughs) But just in case your team's ready, I want to drop a little hint at this possible phase four. And it's building integrations of teams. So this would be cross-business, cross-tower, or cross-curricular teams that collaborate on integrating best practices or synchronization across the organization as a whole. Again, very few organizations will ever reach this level of collaboration And it can honestly stress your employees out if this concept is discussed. So be very careful when thinking about this type of collaboration. Here's the main point of phase three. To build teams that truly collaborate, provide them with a coach to help them grow in their individual skills, navigate the work, overcome the challenges, and keep moving forward toward success. So leaders, heed this advice. Organizations that support a coaching culture will always outperform their peers and competition. And why, you ask? Because they're providing a booster shot for building a culture of employee growth and performance. Quality coaching accelerates the collaborative team's path to success. Our way of working today focuses on the concepts of teams. Thus, as essential leaders, we need to be intentional in building our life and leadership on essential rock number five, collaboration. If our employees have to be a part of a team, let's make sure they're on a winning one by fostering the environment for collaboration. Because teams that don't know how to collaborate will only be successful in producing confusion, conflict, and work that's not aligned. So to recap, leaders, you need to implement a three-phase approach 
to building truly collaborative teams in your organization. The three phases you should walk your team through are, one, to clearly communicate the purpose and vision for the team. Give them that common cause to rally around. Two, provide the parameters for the work of the team. Provide them clarity in the expectations. They cannot meet unspoken expectations. And three, coach the team for success. Feedback matters. Feedback among the team members and feedback from you to the team members and from the team members to you. Create a feedback loop. So remember, it's so much easier for teams to get where they want to go if everyone is rowing in the same direction. And leaders, it's your job to ensure everyone on the team is collaborating or rowing in the same direction. Today, I mentioned two specific tactics as part of building collaborative teams. I referenced clarifying your expectations and using the power of your meeting agenda. We have free guides to help you with both of these tactics. The links are in our show notes, or you can go to our website, BREssentialServices.com, and scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see all of our freebies. Again, that's BREssentialServices.com. While you're on the website, go ahead and click on that schedule a call button. We'd love to talk to you about establishing a coaching culture within your organization. At BR Essential Services, we offer personalized coaching to help you become the essential leader everybody wants to work for. We'll help you get rid of status quo and overcome overwhelm. So schedule a call today. Until next time, continue putting in the work of building your life and leadership on the rocks, the essential rocks. God bless. Remember, the most essential rock you can build your life and leadership on is the rock of Jesus Christ. Today's Bible verse comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up.